everyone, and welcome to The Cinema Nerd Presents, Made in the 90s. My name is Kyle Woods. I am here with Dylan Shore. This week, we're going to talk about Thunderheart. Dylan, what is Thunderheart? Thunderheart is a 1992 um, modern-day Western. It, oh. <clears throat> it takes place in the Badlands of South Dakota, which is actually where Sarah's stationed 45 minutes from the Badlands. When I drove her to her base, we drove on the outskirts of the Badlands. We could see them from the highway. And although the movie opens in Washington, D.C., Bruce Springsteen's Badlands is playing over the radio. Sorry, go ahead. Well, we're not there for long, though. You know what? I I don't get into any of that. Let's talk about some other movies, dude. What have you watched lately? Uh, well, with Sarah on the trip, we watched just like a lot of stuff that she wanted to watch. So we went through a lot of just cheese ball movies. She fucking loves My Big Fat Greek Wedding, both of them. I, I love the first one a lot. I the second love- one actually, the second one's annoying, but I still like it. I haven't seen the second one. You should watch it. Okay, I will. Because I watched the first one recently, and I loved it, man. I oh, no, really the first one is incredible. Okay. I've always loved the first one. The second one is not my favorite, but I still enjoy it. Fair enough. <laughs> um, and uh, then we watched another double feature uh, <clears throat> of Miss Congeniality and Miss Congeniality 2. The uh-huh. first one, again, legit funny. I think that one is very well done for what it is sure uh second one stupider but <laughs> uh still has funny moments i haven't um, seen either of those ones to my shame and i'm not a huge sandy b fan but I'm i am a big fan, but i started to realize that i do like her in a lot of movies i, I don't like her in a lot of movies though too you know what she's an example of like um well, it doesn't matter who the equivalent is. I like Sandra Bullock movies. I don't really think Sandra Bullock is great. You know what I mean? But she yeah. is a total movie star. Like, I'm going to go see the new Sandra <laughs> Bullock movie because it's probably going to be pretty good, even if I hate it. Like, the prime example of that is, like, The Blind Side, which is a god-awful, yeah. just wretched fucking movie yeah. that Not a fan loves. Of and it's, you know, okay. But it's, like, shiny and movie-shaped, and it's a movie-ass movie great it's the new sandra bullock movie and like the highlight of it is every so often you get gravity or speed or i i don't know name a few others she's fucking great which one speed two speed two or oceans eight or (laughs) which if we ever do speed on the podcast we have to do speed two with it it's just when we do our speed double feature next week will unmatch all of this. <laughs> um, and then the last thing I watched was yesterday when I landed, uh, when I was in Denver, my buddy was sending me like videos of him and his cousin watching Magnolia. <laughs> and I was just like quoting the scene that it was on. I was like, fuck, I want to watch Magnolia now. So as soon as I landed, I like did an errand or two and then I popped in Magnolia and man, what a fucking perfect movie. I love it. It's doing everything it's meant to. Um, yeah. 
Well, I disagree strongly, and this has been made in the 90s for this week. Nope. It's so good. I, yeah, I don't know, man. I should watch it again. I want to give it another fair chance. I am a big PTA fan. and My favorite filmmaker. He's up there for me. He's definitely up there. Um, just the way that I'm going to go see the new Paul Thomas Anderson movie, whatever it is. Although in the, just a full disclosure, I have not yet caught up with the Phantom Thread. Just because it happened right when I left LA. It was like, yeah, it released yeah. like the weekend I left LA and then I just have not been back around. Now that, now that you're moving to the countryside, <laughs> it takes place in a small little countryside town. Not all of it, but most of it. You should watch it. It'll be a really good opportunity, be, opportunity for me to be very demanding of my undeserving wife. Yes. <laughs> totally. <laughs> right on. Anything else? That's it. Cool. I just have a couple. Um, in the interest of only watching light <laughs> fare from the 90s, although, never mind. So uh, I've been watching the Mighty Ducks movies. I went through them like last month. <laughs> so good, man. Yeah. Love those movies. But I want to talk about the third one specifically because third one's awesome. Jim, it's awesome. It's a great one. I like that it lowers the stakes. I like that it goes back to a more human scale. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that being from Minneapolis, it's the most Minneapolis of those movies, which are very yep. Minneapolis, right? We all yes. loved them as kids growing up, for sure. They were like on our minds. We quoted them endlessly. I've seen them 10,000 times. But watching them as an adult, I actually realized after this last viewing, <laughs> um, so I worked with one of the producers of this, of D3, uh -huh. while I was still in Minneapolis. And I realized watching this, that like, oh, he's also from Minneapolis and that's in this movie. So the, uh, the school that they end up in is called Eden Hall. And that's sort of a portmanteau of two of the more preppy private schools in the area, which would be Eden Prairie, Eden Prairie something or other, and Creighton Durham Hall, which Creighton Durham Hall is a school that Joe Maurer went to, if you're a baseball fan, who's mm -hmm. like a Hall of Fame catcher, Hall of Fame level catcher. I don't think he's been inducted yet, but he's probably first or second ballot. He's a very, very good catcher. And he went to the biggest high school and then went and played for the local hometown professional team. So he's kind of a hometown hero. Hmm. And that's really where this movie is set. But you know, they got to spice it up a little bit for legal reasons or yep. whatever. You can't um, outright one school. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so it, it's just stuff full of little details like that, where I'm like, Oh no, it's a, it's a Minneapolis ass movie in a way that, very few movies are. It really is inside Minneapolis. So I really appreciated it for that and had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, the first one and the third one. Like, the first one has the most iconic shot, one of the most iconic shots as a kid, of the limo pulling out onto the ice and all the kids <laughs> just watching. Like, what's this guy doing? <laughs> yeah. For the record, that the place where the limo pulls out is just a field. It's not Oh, a I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for him. Uh, and then the third one, the opening of them all coming together and skating. Okay, 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 okay. Okay. So, okay. 
<laughs> that like we definitely did a lot of that because we were youths of the same age at the same time trying to be just as cool as Pacey from Dawson's Creek. Mm-hmm. But there's a, there's a few sequences like that throughout the series, but the one in D3 is the one that goes nearest to my home. <laughs> so really? yeah, oh yeah, it's really close. So actually that, uh, you know, the impossible jump that they do at the very end of that chase yeah. and like join yeah. up with everybody. Yeah. That is, I mean, minutes from my house. Um, and also coincidentally, minutes from the uh, really unfortunate uh, murder of George Floyd. So it, it's all really like tightly combined. And um, the, that's why I love D3 and have very complicated feelings about Minneapolis. Yeah, definitely. So speaking of complicated feelings, what's up with Thunderheart? So (laughs) you've been waiting a while to talk about it. Tell me about it, man. I loved it. Awesome. It's so good. Uh, And from like when it opens with the sun setting and the fucking uh, guy just running and he's silhouetted and the credits are rolling, I was like, this looks fucking gorgeous and i was like who fucking shot this and within seconds it was roger deakins and i was like that makes fucking sense yeah Yeah, uh roger deakins has his own podcast so for some reason you're listening listening to it tell me about it do you enjoy it i do enjoy it i'm i'm like halfway through them all i started it right when it began and then i just listened to like six of them and haven't kept up since Right on. I haven't listened to a single one of them because I'm a bad film fan, but I'm sure he's got a lot to say. He does, and it's him and his wife, and they. Oh, cool. He was a script supervisor on a lot of the movies he's worked on. That's dope, man. That's such yeah. a oh man. It, one of the reasons I wanted to get into the other show, the filmography show, was. Um, to highlight shit like that, like script supervisor is such an important position. And you know, it's not one of the ones that gets talked out, talked about outside of these conversations. Mm -hmm. And uh, man, it's such a hard job. So it makes sense that they have this superpower of creativity that they're putting together. That's pretty cool to know. Definitely. Um, Okay, so Thunderheart, Um, there's a murder in the Badlands of a Native American. It's on a Native American land. It's on the reservation. On the reservation. And FBI gets brought in, but not just any FBI agent. It's Val Kilmer, (laughs) who his character is part Sioux heritage. His dad was like half Sioux. And uh, he has he's oblivious to everything about his past. He doesn't really care or, uh, yeah, that's perfect. He he's doesn't just walking around looking like Val Kilmer. Just yeah. Just hell, clearly not identifying with the struggle. Yes. Um, and so they bring him in because they believe having at least some Sioux heritage doing the talking will, um, make things go easier. 
they're trying to cozy up to the native crowd. They want to get a little more, um, little more liquidity with their political capital. And so yes. I think having him in the mix is going to make things a little easier for him. It, I think it's worth noting who brings him in, though. That's Fred Thompson. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Fred Thompson. Notably, um, law and order mainstay and Republican senator from the state of Tennessee, I believe. Um, I'm trying. Uh, Kentucky? Kentucky. Oh, Tennessee. Tennessee. Yeah. So we'll get back to that, but how did they get him? How did he? I mean, he was—he acted the hell out of a bunch of stuff. He was a working actor. Oh yeah, man. And he played a heavy like that. That was his role in Law and Order. He would just show up and Die Hard Two, right? Because I think he might be in Die Hard Two. Is it Die Hard Two? Let's well, let's check out Fred Ward real quick. Let's take a little. Not Fred Ward. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Fred Thompson. We'll get Fred to Fred Ward. This movie, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Fred Thompson. Die Hard 2, Law and Order, In the Line of Fire, Hunt for Red October, Cape Fear. Wow. Days of Thunder. He's in a lot of shit. Baby's Day Out. <laughs> I'm telling you. And then he also was like a um, sort of Rush Limbaugh light. He's a radio host and... Oh yeah, and, and also a senator, and also um, I, yeah. Anyways, I, I well, like I said, I want to talk about Fred Ward. I want to talk about a lot of what's going on in this movie, but I think it'll be better if we kind of build some of the themes up before we unpack them, because there is some shit being said up in this film, huh? Mm-hmm. So when Val Kilmer gets to South Dakota the agent assigned to like bring him around is agent frank cooch cutell played by <laughs> sam shepherd sam shepherd doing great man he's uh really turning in a performance in this his fucking because you like see his like snaggle tooth like it was like a rat tooth and i think that was a character thing because i don't remember seeing him with like that much of a protruding tooth I guess I couldn't call the detail of Sam Shepard's mouth to mind enough to tell you that was not natural to his face. He is a little rat, essentially. So I was just wondering if it was like a like a character choice. I dig it, man. Maybe it was. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah. So he uh, brings him around and shows him around the reservation and introduces him to. Uh, Everyone. Well, actually, I'm sorry. They first get introduced to um, Graham Greene. Graham Greene, buddy. Uh, what's his uh, character name? Um, uh, sorry, I got it right here. Uh, Crow Horse. Correct. Um, and you find out that Crow Horse is the sheriff of the reservation. And him and Val start working together, but it's kind of butting heads for a long time and then at the end they kind of actually start to work together <laughs> yeah i mean that is the the long arc of the thing ultimately it has to be the two walking to red stage together right red, yep. red deer stage sorry red deer stage for sure but they have a real classic sort of buddy cop dynamic like you know they, it's really good it's, yeah oh yeah they're great they're 
both fantastic. Yeah, I also really love the dynamic when we get into Grandpa and the sort of like trading games and yeah. that the way uh, that they break <laughs> right, and then offers them a broken cigarette later, <laughs> and then honestly, the way that thing comes together with the peace pipe in the car. I'm in for it by that point in the movie. I'm just like, ah, oh, man, old man yeah. already knew. Grandpa's a G, dude. Yeah, he knew. Uh, he saw visions of Val, essentially. Yeah. Uh, the uh, Well, what he calls uh, the native who ran at Wounded Knee, uh, Thunderheart. Right. He is the living embodiment of Thunderheart. Right, right. Val Kilmer is the reincarnation, the living embodiment, the spiritual ancestor yep. of Thunderheart, who is a medicine man that was gunned down at Wounded Knee. And yes. the, the kind of ultimate payoff of this thing is our white savior coming to fulfill his ancestral calling. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. Um... I just want to say this real quick. I, I didn't take any notes because I was just so enthralled with the movie. But like, I'm, so I'm just pulling shit from my head. Okay. But in the opening, when uh, uh, what, Leo? That's the guy that gets killed in the opening. Uh, yeah, shot in the back. I think that's his name. He's not a big character, but he is a name that is mentioned throughout the whole story, even though he's murdered in the first minute. Right. Uh, but well, his yeah. death is fucking violent i remember like i was just like whoa his fucking like back just got shot the fuck up yeah and then later on when you find out who killed leo should we just say it yeah let's spoil this movie little okay. hawk is yeah, no, yeah. yellow hawk yellow hawk richard yellow hawk uh, who throughout the whole movie is in a wheelchair and then <laughs> right. starts to piece together that he's really not paralyzed. Pull the big Lebowski on these motherfuckers. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, or Big Lebowski went Thunderheart on. <laughs> but on also, him. isn't the Big Lebowski actually paralyzed? Yes, he is. <laughs> yeah, so this guy is. Well, when I see one, dude, and this guy's a <laughs> fucking fake. <laughs> so good <laughs> the way he like shakes him a little bit before he drops him where he's got a kind of like a bear hug because walter is so bereft of human contact that he just needs that moment <laughs> oh my god I, okay I, um so uh, yeah so uh yellow hawk is not paralyzed and he was hired by cooch cooch to uh kill leo who was somehow um gonna interrupt the land deal that was going on right because it turns out there's uranium on the reservation on the reservation and the federal agents are brokering a deal to get the uranium off the reservation and yeah there's the pro-government um native americans and the um anti-government native americans and the leader of the pro-government ones is uh, Fred Ward. Sure, sure. Yeah, and, uh, and who is Pooch really is good. sort of like the, um, you know, the capo. He's the lieutenant on the ground. Yes. Yep. Straight cowboy. Straight, like. Totally. Him and Fred Ward, the real cowboy of this thing, ready yeah, to man. pop off at the drop of his 
Stenson. That's yep. a cowboy hat, right? That's a cowboy hat. <laughs> um, uh, okay. So when uh, so that thought I had about that bat, his back just being brutally fucking taken out in the beginning, and Yellowhawk's like, I blew his back out with the weapon you guys told me to use. I was like, right. that's exactly yeah, what you did. You blew his fucking back out. It was, it is violent. It's super violent and it's gorgeously photographed, like you mentioned by Roger Deakins. It is like, this movie's violent. It is impressively violent in the way that it means to impress its message upon you with violence. Mm-hmm. Later on, at, at about the midpoint, when the kid gets shot, it is searing. So, Maybe I'll jump in a little bit and talk about my relationship to this movie because I, so you hadn't seen this thing before. I'd never seen this one. So I had seen it once when I was a child and before we talked about it a week or two ago, whenever it was, I had just like vague memories of it. And now I realize that I have very strong memories of it because it's really strongly messaged and strongly executed. It's a beautiful movie with a lot on its mind. And it does well with what it's trying to say. Large, yeah. aside, you know, there's a big issue that I want to get into in a little bit. But before I do, like I said, where I'm coming from, I've mentioned, I don't know if it's on any of the episodes that we posted yet, but like some of the stuff that we recorded early on, you know, <clears throat> my mom let me watch like no movies as a kid. And the stuff that I did watch was very sanitized, but... not in like the sort of Christian middle America way that you're thinking. She was a total hippie. And so she was really careful about like what kind of violent messaging was allowed into my brain, what kind of commercial messaging was allowed into my brain. And I spent a lot of my time, I, I was born and raised in Minneapolis. I spent a lot of my time, although we lived in like my mother and I lived in a house. We spent most of our time between two different communes. That's kind of where I was raised, right? And so one of them, this is, and like, God bless my mother and, you know, God bless all the hippies. But um, we would go over there sometimes and like later on in the evening, if we were still hanging out, they had this giant ass, like couch lounge situation where it was like this huge ass bed like way bigger than a california king in these old victorian houses in minneapolis these are huge houses man they're like they're giant 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 houses and so like they're often divided into quadplexes now and each of those quadplexes will have like two or three bedrooms so okay. this hippie commune had one of these houses <laughs> and one of this giant bedroom slash movie viewing area where they had stolen cable was where we would congregate later on in the evening. And there was just tons of weed being smoked. And I was, you know, a, a kid and not smoking, but I was definitely like hanging out in a fucking weed den, watching yeah. movies with all these hippies, man. And, you know, this was one of the movies that there was a brief conversation of like, oh, he's pretty little. Should he watch this? And then being like, no, it's pretty important, man. He should watch this. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 
just that phrasing. No, it's pretty important, man. I think you should watch this. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and it turns out it's like actually seared in my brain and probably a guiding force in a lot of the things that I believe because I do have a lot of thoughts about uh, the things that this movie suggests in a very supportive manner. So we'll <laughs> circle back to that, but I'll, I'll let you go on for now. Uh, did you watch it in 92 or like probably like 93 94 on video yeah it was probably on hbo like i said they were it was definitely a stolen cable kind of vibe okay. and i'm sure it was hbo because that was kind of the thing it was like all right let's see what's on hbo so gotcha. it would have been you know came out in 92 probably you know 95 came out no probably like 93 or you know how hbo is you know well, back in the day, I think it was a little longer before they could get the rights for the movies. I think it was shorter because there was less of a home video market. HBO ran shit pretty quick. Okay, okay. But who knows? Yeah, so I, didn't, no, I didn't really start watching HBO until like probably like 2001 in like fifth grade. I, bro, I would, so here's where my movie fan, just to like keep unpacking my young movie fandom stars, because you know where I think this is? I think it's on the Witches episode, which I haven't posted. Um, but so I, I um, <clears throat> pardon me, I grew up around the corner from a video rental store and a second run movie theater. Yes. So I would just bounce back and forth between these things. And I also like, you know, not to, not to brag, but I was one of those kids who was not um, challenged by school. And so I wasn't there a lot, you know? I mean, I was there enough. I got good enough grades, but like, I would just skip days and go to movies and shit like that. <clears throat> so I would also skip days and go hang out at the hippie den and just like watch HBO all fucking day and just watch movies all day and hang out there. And so I remember you know, looking at the TV guide the night before and planning out which movie I'm going to go watch next at their house. And then I'll maybe go to this movie theater, whatever. So <laughs> they turned shit around pretty quick. I remember catching up on some stuff that I, I probably shouldn't have been seeing. <laughs> yeah, right in the middle of the day. Anyways, um, so that's how I saw Thunderheart. And I also love this movie. Same. Um, okay, so where do we uh, pick up? Well, let me suggest oh. something to you plot-wise, which is that I think this movie might be a noir film. What do you think? Um, it has little elements, but I definitely feel like it's more of a Western. I think it's set in the West, obviously, in the Badlands. It's definitely got that wrapping and the, you know, the violence of it, although that's not uh, exclusive of noir either. But I think the kind of, the bones of this thing, the way we, the way it unravels, you know, plot-wise, that it ends up being about, like, it's kind of got a Chinatown vibe or, um, you know what, it almost reminds me of, it reminds me of LA Confidential for another reason in that- Yeah, you know, the ending. The ending reminded me a lot of L.A. Confidential. And I can see how you say Chinatown as well. The ending feels like everyone's congregated in this one area and all this shit is just being unraveled. And it's about, like, mineral rights and how the... Uh, yeah, yeah. How police are ultimately being used to enforce capitalist interests rather than the safety of the community. They're actually... Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
instead of like, like enforcing the safety of the community, they are fomenting revolution and, and war and like actively committing acts of violence so that they destabilize the region and can secure the resources with it. Yep. Yep. Uh, <laughs> You're, it's absolutely, you sold me on it. It's definitely got a lot of noir in it. Dope. Um, we should talk about the character of Maggie. We should. She's a Native American political activist, and she's also the local teacher. Yep. And um, she has had a lot of history with um, Fred Ward's character. Um, I'm blanking on his name. Hold on. Uh, Jack Milton, uh, because she is anti-government and he's pro pro government on the res, <laughs> and she and or her and Val, we should probably call Val by his character name, uh, Ray Thunderheart. Uh, Thunderheart. <laughs> uh, Ray Lavoy. Ray Lavoy. Ray uh, Little Weasel Lavoy. Lavoy. So Ray and Maggie form a friendship. Um, not a not not like a sexual tension thing. Like there might have been like a little bit there, but it. I I don't think they never sleep with each other. No, you're right about that. That's a really good point. Yeah, it's just like she doesn't really want anything to do with him, but he keeps coming and persisting, and then she lightens up a little bit, and then she's found murdered yeah I, well that's definitely condensing a lot of what the sort of emotional arc of the plot relies on because it is through little bear eagle bear damn it sorry what's her name uh maggie eagle, maggie bear. eagle bear um their relationship like you said it's not sexual but it is where uh thunderheart revealed his humanity and it's a thing that i think this movie does well as it is <clears throat> pardon me also falling trap to a thing that we see a lot on this show right so that i want to talk about this as a 90s movie in that way because it's very much a white savior film mm -hmm. but it's very much about him coming to terms with being a white savior. Like it puts that identity at the forefront of this narrative. It's not just that he's good enough to make this happen. It's that he has to really understand who he is. And it's through those moments with her where his, his actual humanity is shown. And that's like the team of the good guys is be human. And let's actually be kind to each other and care about this thing together that will make you one of us and good. It definitely suffers from the blonde hair and blue eyes of Val Kilmer. Yeah. But I think it does better than so many other 90s movies and at least making it about that. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Right. I, and Val does good. He's, he's good. Uh, he's great. I, I really, I like his performance. I also like the, the scripting of him, the way that he's shown to learn, but never showing off his intelligence, right? So like the, speaking of Maggie Eagle Bear, the next time he comes to her house, right? The first time he shows up and what does he do? He's not have a warrant, but he's trying to get to grandma. And they're like, grandma saw what happened down by the water. Right. 
And so the second time he shows up and he's bringing gifts, right? And that's another thing that would be reflected through, you know, the relationship with grandpa. And there's a few other points where, oh, uh, what's the interaction with Graham Greene? There's one early on where he's like, oh, right. I understand what this is. And now we're having jabs back and forth. They're so good together. They are very good together. Um, <clears throat> the, oh man, the chase to when they're in the car and they just go off the road and he's like, where are you going? They got us boxed in. <laughs> uh, uh, what's, what's the red stage? What, what's it called? Red stage? Red deer stage, I believe. Red deer, red deer stage. Oh, just the helicopter fucking just following the car and everyone's chasing. Looked gorgeous. So, uh, you know what's crazy about that is that it is an inverse Thelma and Louise. Totally. I was like, they're going to drive off a cliff. But instead <laughs> of driving off a cliff, it, instead of two women he driving off a cliff, it's two <laughs> men driving up to a cliff. It's so just upside down. Yeah. That delighted me to no end. I could not believe that that's what they were doing with this thing. And it's like the year after Thelma and Louise, too. So, yeah. That's pretty funny. Um, yeah, man. And then it all, it all comes uh, crashing down for Cooch. Yeah. Well, uh, and I'll jump back in here on my uh, hippie political philosophy, which is to say that the, the point of this thing is that Graham Greene and Val Kilmer had to go in together. Because he, although he is a white savior, he can't do this shit alone. It's not that kind of movie. And this movie understands that. And yep. because oh, yeah, the a larger meta commentary on our, our whole world that's so important for our whole world right now, racial unity is the real powerhouse in this thing. And that's when the power structures cannot support themselves when motherfuckers come together over what's actually important. So keep that in mind because uh, it's important. Sorry, yep. go ahead. So, and you know what? Yeah, it is like a white savior thing, but they do, they do something really good to where it, at the end, it's really not him because he has Graham Green next to him. They don't have weapons. And then the rest of the reservation comes out with their weapons. Right. And the only thing Val has is the thing to take down Cooch. The truth. All he had is he, he has he has the tape recording which he told him to always do. Yeah. Brilliant. I love it. And that's Brilliant. another reason where I think it functions, you know, more as a noir thing, because it's like, no, nah, it comes down to the actual evidence and it's about the double cross and we got a late switch, you know, in the third act where we find out it's about the you know, anyways, I made my my case on that. <laughs> Uh, uh, James Horner did the score. Score is good. I was just coming to that note. The score is really good. Um, I'm trying to, and you uh, that too, as you said it earlier, Bruce Springsteen <laughs> did the opening song. Dun, 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 dun. Um, okay, I got two more. I got one more, uh, I got one fun thing and one more me yelling politics into the microphone which is that this is sort of a loose amalgamation of a lot of stuff that was going on. The movie addresses that, but the name Leonard Peltier deserves some acknowledgement. And it's not exactly what happened to him, 
but it is sort of the backbone of this story. So if you want to know more about what this movie is called, Arm, in the real world is called AIM, the American Indian Movement. A documentary, right? There's a documentary on it? I'm sure there's plenty of them. Um, like I said, I'm from Minneapolis, and they, they were kind of headquartered out of there. You might have heard, heard of them, again, in pop culture references to, like, occupying Alcatraz and they are certainly the people who are occupying Standing Rock right now and making that fight continue to happen because that shit is not over. Uh, yes, no, definitely learn more about uh, Leonard Peltier. There, it's a crazy thing about a shootout on a reservation. Yeah. <laughs> I've only read briefly on it. I want to learn more about it too. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's not an isolated incident. I think where this movie goes a little Hollywood is sort of dialing up the violence amongst Native Americans at this time. There was certainly a lot of dissension uh, because there was absolutely a very revolutionary arm that was really doing these things. But the the killing of, you know, this is sort of the same shit as like black on black crime where it's like, no, it's, and the movie does really, really well to demonstrate that it's white agitators like Umbrella Man who are in here fucking shit up, not um, actual activists and people who care about the, the land and human rights. Yep. All right, I'm going to stop yelling about politics and only talk about the movie from now on. You hit it on the nose there. <laughs> I'm doing the best I can.